Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we've been watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin New, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Fire Island and the Essex Serpent, two seaside romps with old fashioned question mark sensibilities. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny how much they actually do have in common this week. They have so much in common, it's actually jokes. Um, <laughs> yeah. How you doing, babes? How's your week been? I'm recovering from COVID if you can't hear the, cro- <laughs> the croaky chords. Yeah, I've been okay. Um, I getting some scans back from like film photos, some of a trip mm-hmm. to California I took uh, more than a month ago, and it's just like wow nature like nature man. some of this shit is just like the most beautiful stuff it's gorgeous in the world like the, oh these places God. and i don't know i feel a renewed sort of sense of desire and like urgency to to get out into nature and to yeah. appreciate everything that we have in this yeah. natural world yeah your yeah. photos are stunning by the way thank you but yeah we gotta save this nature man like yeah man that's a priority number one i think for for everyone in the world yes um, and if we can't well we'll just enjoy it while we can and you guys can deal with it later when we're uh, there, shit so. yeah might have to come to that yeah um speaking of nature and getting out into the wilderness Ooh, i guess that segue <laughs> what did you watch this week felon oh mate so i uh jumped on the hype train and i mm-hmm. started watching fire island in the midst of my covid mess <laughs> yeah i'm so glad i watched this this is on hulu it is a film that is written by joel kim booster and directed by andrew Ahn, who you know jenny from driveways which is a film that you really liked yeah um, yeah shout out shout out to andrew Ahn. shout out to driveways yeah and um this stars joel kim booster himself as noah who is our protagonist noah is set on playing wingman to his hopeless romantic best mate howie who is played by Bowen Yang, who you will know, anybody will know from SNL. Yeah. And as far as we know, this is one of their last ever trips to Fire Island with the usual cabal of friends at the usual place that they stay at, which is the place owned by Erin, who is Margaret Cho, um, who is their like lesbian matriarch that owns mm-hmm. the house. Anyway, she's selling the house and they're really sad about it and it's like a last hurrah for them. Mm-hmm. Um, this is loosely based on, I didn't know this, when the trailer came out, which was a while ago, but this is apparently loosely based on Pride and Prejudice, which is one of my favorite books of all time, and you know iconic films that followed it, both the BBC special and also the film film with Kira Knightley and the Matthew McFadden. Mm-hmm. Um, so this kind of when I, when I found out that that was the case, I was I was pretty happy and excited about it. You know, it makes sense. I think in terms of the setting for Fire Island. Uh, Pride and Prejudice is set in a world where hierarchy exists and I think Fire Island is presented to us to be a place where hierarchy also exists mm-hmm. um, so it's a nice little comp I think um, for those that don't know Fire Island is the Fire Island Pines are in New York uh, state and it's a place where many queer gay LGBTQ the leg booty community have been going to for a while um, as kind of like I don't know what you would call it, like the, the, their version of the Hamptons, I guess, for all the streets. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. so that, that's Shout the concept. Shout out to anyone, anyone we know who's out, out there in Fire Island right now, because I oh, know man. some people are. 
Yeah, man. If you're listening to this on the beach right now, shout out to you. Love you. Uh, show some extra cheek for us. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I, I think I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to expect going into this, but I, I enjoyed the trailer. And then I want to get your read on it first, Jenny. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you feel about it? What are your thoughts so far? Yeah. Well, I think it was a perfectly sufficient, cute film. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Jane Austen girl, I'll say that. <gasps> so, like, the Pride and Prejudice peg, you know, it made sense. It, it again, is cute. Doesn't really do much for me on, like, an emotional Wait. core level. <laughs> Wait. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I thought it was a, a sufficient, cute gay film. Okay. Um, okay. So, okay. Nothing much more beyond that for Sidebar. For What's yeah. your what's your beef with Jane Austen? Not anything in particular. I get that her work is like very significant, outstanding for her time, like at this certain time period, what she was doing. I just don't feel like a huge personal affection for it. Uh, mm. I think it works for other people. I'm just not one of the kinds of people it necessarily works for. Um, mm. Although that said, like I did like the Kira Knightley. Uh, Matthew McFadden adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, uh, yeah. but actually reading the book, seeing other da- adaptations, you know, Sense and Sensibility, you know, they're all just they're fine for me. I'm gonna pretend that that didn't destroy something in our friendship. <laughs> um, I'll just keep it pushing. It's fine. I'm not. I'm not anti. You know, I'm just. I'm happy. No, to no, I get it. I get it. Live listen, and let live. Listen, as a as a girl that grew up like. My parents were strict, but not about marriage, right? But I think Muslim girls in general have an affinity for Pride and Prejudice in a way that's just like, it's just, you know, it's the way that we feel about fish fillet sandwiches at McDonald's. It's just different. <laughs> that's just our thing. You know, it's just like uh-huh. Muslim girl canon. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, it's fine. we'll we'll get over this hump (laughs) yeah we will we will it'll be all right but anyway so just a little bit more context about the film i'll i'll circle back to your thoughts about the film because i'm Mm -hmm. i'm pretty much on the same page as you Mm -hmm. um if you watch uh if you watch how to get away with murder you will also recognize conrad rickamora who actually plays the mr darcy stand-in aka Mm. will uh not bad not bad performance from him i think in terms of like how to expect the film, I, I think I should give a little bit more context because I went into this pretty blind. This The film is structured over a week. So you go through the mon- the Thursday to Thursday, I think is correct. And the inciting incident, Bo and Yang's character, Howie, meets a cute doctor named Charlie, of which Will is friends with, along with their, with you know, with a couple of their nasty friends. Um, and I think the reason why it's interesting that that's the inciting incident is because even though it is a rom-com i think the film does a pretty good job of exploring all the little layers that go into the rom-com in the world of these guys Mm -hmm. um in particular so you know we get into the thick of it with all the dynamics with in the island so yeah that was interesting yeah so (laughs) you know the island itself it's communicated to us by noah that there is like a mysticism there and it's kind of like i i would say it's similar to what it's like to be on any kind of resort or any kind of holiday destination place where the only thing that you need to worry about is having a good time and being on the beach or being amidst nature in that time doesn't really exist whether it's because you've been getting you wake up and you start just getting drunk immediately like you're day drunk or you're taking a bunch of pills or you're hung over 
or anything like that. Um, so time is a little bit loosey goosey. Um, and the type of people that you meet, the connections are a little bit more loose, a little bit more like intense, you know, like holiday romances are really intense. So time yeah. feels a little bit, um, flexible like that. Yeah. Like you've known someone for a week, but actually it feels like yeah. you've fallen in love with them over yeah. the course of months or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I really, I really like that, the sort of picture they painted of the islands, like, mm-hmm. and especially, you know, it's framed as this safe haven, like where they finally they get to let loose, they get to retreat to this queer fantasy island, yeah. more or less. Um, yeah. But in escaping like the bad parts of the outside world, they they're like inside this place that comes with its whole new set of challenges and oh, yeah. things to worry about, and in a much more insular way. Uh, yeah, but yeah. yeah, like there's no fully escaping. <laughs> like worry and insecurity and fear or whatever anyway yeah it's fantasy but only to a certain extent yeah i mean i i, I that was that was i think the strongest thing about this um and the way that noah and howie interact with one another is probably my my favorite thing to to take it back to you know what you said about your thoughts i, I again pretty much the same I think having it be based on Pride and Prejudice is kind of, it's pretty sweet. I don't know. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I, it's, you know, it's, I'm the audience. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I really like the comfort of the, and the predictability of the beats of that story and seeing kind of like how they made their own little version of it in yeah. the context of this film. Um, it's fun. It's always fun to see who gets cast as what and how they decide to do it. You know, obviously, Will as Mr. Darcy. I think was good casting, you know, as someone that has been watching How to Get Away with Murder, I fucking hate that guy, um, <laughs> but I'm trying not to hold it against him. He's so annoying in that show, um, <laughs> but I think he does a pretty decent job of going against that that character and and finding his own place. And I and I did think that their chemistry was good, him and Noah's. Yeah, and I, I personally especially loved the George Wickham stand-in, aka Dex, who is played mm-hmm. by the actually like ridiculously hot Zane Phillips. Dude, that guy needs to be in Marvel. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's just actually a joke. He's so much hotter than all the other like white blonde Chrises that are out there. <laughs> um, yeah, that that guy's an Adonis. It's just really weird. Anyway, I thought that was hilarious because George w- George Wickham as a character is meant to be hotter than Darcy yeah um so I loved I love seeing all of that I love seeing all the casting decisions I like the younger Bennett's the stand-ins yeah. so yeah like especially Matt Rogers I think um yes who is on you know he has a the podcast with Bone Yang so he's like familiar for anyone who's you know a Bone Yang head or like in this like sort of comedy world but yeah he was very funny it's just like this super bratty uh kind of younger you know person who wants more of the attention yeah i thought i agree with you i I really love matt rogers as well um i also love thomas matos who played keegan um Mm -hmm. hilarious like just the best line deliveries in the whole film i think (laughs) yeah i think like bringing it back to noah and howie how did you feel about their dynamic how did you feel about how it explored you know the fact that these are two gay asian american men that have found each other because they that they have that similarity between themselves and they understand each other. You know, like it's told to us that they understand each other because of that. How did yeah. you feel about it and how they approached it in the film? Well, I like both 
Joel Kimbooster and Bonyang separately yeah. and also like together in the same you know space the same yeah. project yeah um and they're friends in real life too yeah so, they're yeah. they're part of the same circle you know both of them are great at their respective you know anything they've been in mm-hmm. um i like the idea of their friendship and the idea of like how they relate to each other but i do think like i kind of wish that we had gotten more in terms of who are they and what is their relationship to each other like yeah. we we're told they're best friends they yeah. met when they were both servers. They now live apart. This is like sort of how these are the things they relate to each other through. But like, yeah. I mean, like, what is the depth of their friendship? What are the other things that are sort of keeping them together? Like, yeah. what is the sort of story there and the the depth and development in terms of like a years long friendship? It's just, yeah. I don't think I got enough of a sense of that in terms of like, yeah. wow, this is the chemistry of like two best friends and we can tell like why exactly it is that they they love each other and are there for each other but also have a kind of contentious relationship with each other yes yeah and it's funny because i i thought they did a really good job like joel kim booster in writing this did a really good job of expressing the discrepancy between these two men and how they Mm -hmm. see the world and Mm -hmm. the resentment that builds especially through howie um Mm -hmm. really well written lines of dialogue. you know there's that one kind of standoff that they have in the film in the bathroom and it's it's very powerful it's really good it's just that beyond the resentment i i did i wasn't sure what was keeping each other why why are you friends like what what is keeping your friendship alive Uh, right right is you know it's of course it's understandable that their friendship was circumstantial you know why did they keep staying friends Especially when there is so much resentment, it seems, um, from yeah. one to the other, or such discrepancy between how they see the world and relationships, you know? I agree with that assessment. Yeah. I think there is just something kind of missing, um, which is a shame because mm-hmm. it's the strongest part of out, like, out of all of it. You know, we, we call this a rom-com and people have said it's like a rom-com classic. Um, I don't know if I would go so far as calling it a rom-com classic because I think, you know, the rom part of this rom-com felt also a little bit tepid um mm. yeah. you know through the through the lens of noah especially his emotional distance and the way that he expresses it you know he's na- he's narrating the film so that's certainly a very useful tool to get inside the head of our protagonist i just don't know if we got inside the head of our protagonist at all yeah. actually i i actually really <laughs> i totally agree with that yeah i think it's it's still like it, it's hard to figure out who Noah is, even yeah, though yeah. he is a narrator. Through his narration and and through his dialogue, he spells out like what he's supposed to be about, yeah. his beliefs or whatever. But yeah, who? What is his actual like personality? Like what makes him distinct? What What does he think, and why does he think that? I still don't really know. Yeah, and it's you know I, d- I don't know how much of it is because this is understandably a very personal project for joel kim booster and you know this is the first time he's made a feature film and as someone that is doing that right now it's very hard to separate the personal from you know what will actually be good on screen and what people actually want to watch don't get me wrong it's not that this is Mm -hmm. bad it's just that sometimes you need to explore the tender parts of yourself if you want to have people you know connect with your protagonist and if if that you know i I've, i'm saying this because i've read some interviews where he doesn't and then andrew on mentioned how he didn't really want to get into 
um, like they kept getting studio notes asking about what Noah's deal is in terms of his background and like how he grew up and the family dynamics that he keeps touching on or talking about, especially with regards to chosen family. Um, and he didn't really want to mm-hmm. get into it. And it's because he, mm. and you know, we don't know why. Maybe he just didn't think it was interesting. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But it's also because I think Joel Kimbusa has had a bit of a contentious upbringing himself within his family and chosen family is very important for him. And I don't know if there was like a blurring of those lines and he just wanted to kind of hold that for himself. You know, he didn't really want to expose that on screen. And I totally get it, dude. Like protect your fucking peace, but give us something else. You know, like just make some shit up. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't Um, have to be, (laughs) doesn't have to be about you directly. Right. Right. Yeah. I wonder also like if this film's like origin as a Quibi series, actually like, in mm. that series was yeah obviously did not come to be because Quibi shut down after like months but i wonder if like the fact that it was a series at one point presumably with like more sort of fleshed out more time and space to develop everyone's characters and the relationships to each other and to like let the the narrative you know take the place take place across several episodes i wonder if that would have been a better form and then it was condensed to this feature film form that it is in now and in doing so they like lost some stuff i don't know because i think maybe the quibby stuff actually made it punchier and funnier and i think Mm -hmm. the film actually relaxed out and then you have to find like the emotional beats and not just the jokes i think that's i think that's what ended up because i think quibby the quibby series was meant to be because andrew on did not get hired for the Quibi series. He he interviewed. No, that was a different director. Yeah, they and it's because he was. They were like, "You're too slow with it. Like you're you're too emotionally introspective in your films. We don't need that. We need something a little bit more punchy." Oh, really? Yeah, like you're right. I think the translation has definitely done something to the emotional arc of this, which is a little bit weak. It's a shame because I think it could have been a little bit more. It's, you know, I'm not saying we need to, you know, see gay characters cry and talk about their traumas on screen. It's, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's just, we need to, I think, I think we just need a little bit more from Noah. That's all. Like, and how that related to Howie, I think would have helped. And that is what I'm more interested in is their relationship mm-hmm. and the way that they are each other's, you know, chosen family, which is such an important theme in mm-hmm. like just queer cinema queer art in general um anyway that being said um <laughs> how did you feel about you know joel kim booster is a very online person yeah how did you feel about the way that dialogue was written in this well it was funny a lot of it was funny yes it's like very um a lot of it is quite like online humor mm-hmm. or um you know, if you hang out on Twitter, if you hang out, if you, like, know all the jokes, um, the very, like, uh, sharp sort of repartee sort of stuff that, that goes on a lot online, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of that. But yeah. I also thought it was, like, pretty funny. Like, there are a couple moments where I think I had, like, actual laugh out loud yeah. Um, yeah. experiences, which is not very common. Uh, but I guess this is because I probably consider myself a pretty online person like yeah. i uh, that yeah. that like the jokes and that sort of space uh i can actually understand and like relate to that i think there were some points where i was a little bit like rolling my eyes in the back of my head 
Um, like too much online. It's stuff. just too much online. Yeah, but it's, it's just funny because it, there was a part. Like I said it out loud to myself, where I was like, "People don't talk like that." And then I was like, "Oh no, these people definitely do talk like that." What am I saying? Some like, people maybe a hundred percent they do. Um, it's not to. I don't know what my beef is. I don't know whether it's because I I need a different word for heteronormativity because heteronormativity does not roll off the fucking tongue. Um, but I agree that it sucks. Uh, it's terrible, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just funny. Um. Oh, I mean, like, once we get into, like, that kind of stuff, when, like, I don't want to say, like, buzzwords, but, like, when, you know, the characters themselves, they kind of just, like, rattle off these things that they themselves already seem, like, kind of bored of talking about. Like, like, you know, the constraints, the the prison of monogamy and heteronormativity and stuff, it's yada, yada, yada. It's, like, kind of shorthand, more or less, where they're just, like, all that stuff that is conventional and that I don't like. But the way that it's rattled off is like very Yeah. It's it's like when people tweet something and they're like, this, 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 etc. Yeah, but like, it's like this it's, is a standard. Yeah, and it's like what are you what are you actually saying though, bruv? Like and that honestly that's how I felt about felt about like the way that these terms were used as like you mentioned, like as a stand in for actually talking about what these characters mean, what their emotional, you know, philosophy is. Like you know, yeah. We, for example, like Will and it's not—it's not to say that I wanted them to be boyfriend boyfriend at the end of the film, but like when Will says to Noah, "Oh, I don't do monogamy." It's like, okay, um, that's fine. That's totally fine. And I—I I think it's like radical to say that in a film that's ostensibly a rom com. Um, mm-hmm. However, why not? What What is it about monogamy that that you hate? And like emotionally speaking, what is it that doesn't work for you and these are the questions that i care about when i'm watching the film when i'm watching characters like i want to know why they emotionally got to a point not necessarily what their you know values and morals are and them just saying them it's just it seems a little bit too shorthand you know yeah Um, it's a little bit of a a shortcut i I find that like some of the dialogue did did work like that because exposition gets shoved in there like um stated values but what's the emotional backing of yeah, that what's exactly. the, the sort of like character motivation behind those things yeah, exactly yeah so a little bit little bit unclear but yeah, yeah. um it's still just had like i'll say kind of a, a fun time oh totally it was, it was yeah. cute it dragged yeah. a little bit i think it was a bit long at times but i think overall i think this is a great um first attempt by joel kim booster to make a film i'm excited to see what he does next um and yeah. you know i think this is significant for i think a lot of people of color whether you're queer or not to kind of address that the white gaze of desirability so i think that's important and i'm glad that this film exists all right so what was on your docket this week jenny so this week i watched the essex serpent which is a six episode limited series on apple tv plus written by anna simon directed by cleo barnard based on a novel of the same name by Sarah Perry. Mm. Uh, So this is a gothic romance period drama set in Victorian England. And the main character is Cora, played by Claire Danes, a wealthy, recently widowed woman from London who is interested in natural history, archaeology, stuff like that. She moves to a small village in Essex after hearing reports that a mythical serpent has returned to the area. Mm. And when she's there, she strikes up a friendship with local pastor Will, played by the very dashing Tom Hiddleston. Do you reckon he's dashing? 
<laughs> he, I can kind of see what what people see in him now. I think after this this film, Re- um, even with that hairline. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's just something you have to you have to accept when when you're doing. Yeah, yeah, we're we're not ageist on this podcast, all right. Listen, yeah, yeah. Everybody's <laughs> hairlines are receding every day. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. fine. Yeah. We we all have to deal with it in our own terms. <laughs> um, and while she's there, she also you know has to deal with her own complicated relationships with London Doctor Luke, played by Frank Delane, mm-hmm. her friend slash I guess servant Martha, played by Haley Squires, and also Will's wife Stella, played by Clemence Poesy, mm-hmm. as well as all the local villagers who are very paranoid, they're fearful, and they start to blame many things, including Korra, for the tragedies that they believe are caused by the serpent, who's like uh, this representation of the devil or or sin. So the final episode of this just aired last week, so Mm -hmm. there will be spoilers, I think. But Mm -hmm. how far along are you in this, Belen? I crushed it. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I watched, um, I started watching Wednesday... Uh, split the episodes up and then by Friday it was the last episode which I didn't know I didn't yeah. know that Friday was the last episode Rob yeah, I really didn't it's... know it was the sixth episode I thought it was gonna be I thought it was like seasons and seasons it's it's short it's yeah. short man. yeah um, I don't know what your experience was but it kind of grew on me mm. the first episode I watched and I was like eh you know take it or leave it yeah but then once I started watching again it, like same with you I just kind of crushed it like I I just each episode after each episode um pretty fast to get through uh but what were your what were your thoughts i guess overall on the series i actually had a really good time i was not expecting it i really liked the way that information is revealed in this show i think it's really well written which kind of took me aback and i liked the tone of it those 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 are my those are my like short notes um yeah how about you yeah i think i was really interested primarily in like the tone starting out mm-hmm. um i love this idea of like this these gothic elements and the supernatural or mythology stuff like anytime yeah. you mention a serpent like i'm there more yeah. or less yeah um yeah and i think that that tone and this like air of suspense and eeriness works really well in the early half mm-hmm. of the series when yeah. it needs to sort of hook you in and that is definitely like you know they have this gorgeous spooky cinematography like this very gloomy looking essex coast yeah and all this weird shit that's like happening like stuff that you would expect from um like the salem witch trials or something yeah. just like eerie shit it's definitely um, it's definitely a different yeah. pr angle for essex in general <laughs> so yeah. shout, shout out to them for reframing the narrative of yes. essex. <laughs> um but i think what i wanted to happen is that I wanted to stay more in this kind of eerie supernatural element of this mm, village, mm, mm, um, which is undergoing this like mass paranoia and fear and like Christian panic over the devil mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm, serpent. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And just like the relationship between the serpent and religion and like humanity. Uh, so the villagers are terrified by the thought of like death and the devil. And then yeah. on the other hand, you have characters like Stella who are sort of seeking peace with the serpent who is almost like standing for like God and death. Yeah. So that's, that's the part that I think I, I was really interested in, but it is kind of interesting because there are multiple sides to the show. There's like different yeah. facets. Like you have this side, but you also have the sort of interpersonal relationship mm-hmm. and like, 
London or English society side. And then you also have like the romance side. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like this kind of half baked side plot about like Martha and socialism. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> Helping the working poor in London and then getting a job out of it. I don't really know. Shout out um, to Martha, man. <laughs> she's really, she's good for her. She's trying. She's trying to fight the good fight. Yeah. Um, you know. But yeah, what did you think of these different sort of facets of the show and which parts of that sort of caught you the most? I liked that it pulls you in into thinking that it's going to be a supernatural show. And mm. then it keeps you there by telling you that it's actually about mass hysteria and about the human condition Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean so i really like Mm -hmm. that part of it but i also appreciated the relief of not being constantly swarmed by villagers that keep telling you that you're the devil i think there's there's (laughs) i get it but -hmm. there's something extremely easy about showcasing a whole bunch of people blaming you for something that you're obviously not at fault for which is like a common trope to to make people you know rally behind the protagonist and try and figure out what's going on but it is a massive distraction to me and i and i kind of liked how much they took it i think they took it just far enough and then they kind of pulled you out of it and then took you back to london um yeah as soon as they like as soon as they came for cora um yeah she's just like i'm out of here yeah which i mean the show moves to london a hundred percent listen anyone in essex even to this day is trying to get out of essex and go to london me (laughs) really (laughs) essex is beautiful don't get me wrong i think i appreciated just kind of seeing life for cora at this time in her Mm. life like these men in her life and what they're doing and like her social standing and what it is that her interests are did you know that kira knightley was meant to play her yeah yeah yeah. how do you feel about that i it's interesting i i mean i love kira knightley i think she would have been great in this as she is in any sort of period thing Mm -hmm. but also claire danes is an interesting pick she Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. reminds me sort of like not just her face but her features but also like her demeanor she she's a little bit uh lionish to me like yeah, a, yeah. a cat like but in a i don't know like a shining golden uh very lively way and also yeah. i was like interested in the, the sort of physical similarities between her and clemence poesie they oh, look I know. very they look similar. So similar yeah yeah and i'm sure that must have been a deliberate casting choice because yeah. claire danes's character cora she's like vivacious and like bright and full of life and then on the other hand you have stella who is spoiler alert she's dying yeah and she is so pale and soft and like fading and it's sort of like two sides yeah yeah Yeah, two sides of the coin um yeah that it would have been a i think quite a different feel with kira knightley as much as i love her Mm. um i was kind of surprised by claire danes in this and she rocked it um i do think cora is like the core of the show it makes sense. Like I, I loved her thoughts initially to um, her own autonomy and freedom mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like what marriage meant to her, which was, is more or less a prison. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of, you can kind of see like how she has this gravitational pull. She's like a son. She's, you know, everyone is sort of circling around her. Um, at least three people are in love with Cora. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I guess I can kind of buy that in some way. It's a little bit much, but I can buy that. Um, but I wish that 
the, the slide of the show that is about her and her sort of relationships and her romance didn't feel quite so far removed from mm-hmm. the goings on in the village. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. Like, yeah, why, the, why the are romance. we, why is this even called the Essex Serpent at this point? Yeah. Um, like, like, the romance ended up taking up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It just, like, took over the rest of the show for, yeah. like, the, from the, I guess, like, halfway mark onward. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Like, even the reveal of the serpent at the end felt very confusing to watch. Yeah. As a reveal. Anticlimactic. Yeah. Very yeah. anticlimactic. Like, to the point of, like, I didn't know whether, spoiler alert, I didn't know whether the serpent still exists and it killed this whale and everybody thought it was a whale and the serpent's still out there. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or did did all these people, like, did, do they understand that it's a whale? Like, presumably they've yeah, never did they seen even a whale know? before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was all it was yeah. all very, yeah, very uh, poorly executed. Dang. But, no, I get you. I, I feel that too. And I think, like, it's funny that I went into, <laughs> I went into it thinking that, like, oh, there's going to be a second season. No. Because <laughs> um, I was like, this is great. Like, this is such a good first season. Um, I definitely can't wait to learn more about all of these people because they're so interesting and it's it's really well acted too. Um, yeah. So the fact I mean, that it wasn't, I yeah. was like, right. Okay, yeah. so you guys definitely needed two more hours at least. Yeah, um, they sort of, like, they, they want to kind of wrap it up really quickly, the feeling is, is by the end. Um, yeah. And, you know, I would have been nice to spend more time with these characters. I do think, like, the... Like you said, the acting, great. Mm-hmm, um, the mm-hmm. production value, like the the production design, the cinematography, the, the sound, everything across the board, like quite yeah. good. Like, of course, this is an Apple TV uh, production. It's They're going to spend some money. They're going to make it look good. But elements of it were really interesting to me. Mm-hmm, um, I, mm-hmm. I like what they did with Stella, with how she sought her own ending. Yeah. I like the idea of like the character Naomi mm-hmm. played by Lily Rose Aslan Dogdu, very good. Um as this like young girl who is both like into creepy rituals yeah. but also <laughs> an example of like how yeah. men these like lecherous men sort of assign sin onto girls yeah. and women. Um mm-hmm. I thought that was a great character. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it was mostly the finale and specifically like the mm. last five minutes in the, of the finale yeah. that, that let me down a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, this is going to be a spoiler again for, for this last episode, but you know, Cora, as someone who is supposed to be so independent, she's finally free of the shackles of marriage. She falls in love with Will, of course, and they love each other despite his having a wife who's mm-hmm. dying. Um, at, at the end, they're, you know, separate. They're at peace. They're sort of happy, even though they do think of each other. She has this great line where she writes to Will in a letter. She says, like, I love you, but I'm content without you. Right. And I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I would have yeah. loved that to just be the conclusion. But yeah. the last, like, few minutes, they have to show them, like, physically reuniting and, like, kissing mm. and then, like, holding hands and walking off into yeah. the sunshine. See, I don't know if this was in the book, but that just my knee-jerk reaction to that is the studio wanted that. <laughs> yes. I think for sure it's a TV ending. And yeah. from what I understand, I haven't read the book, but from what I understand from, like, plot summaries is that the that book ended with them still just at the point of, like, writing letters to each other. You know, mm-hmm. they still, they still mm-hmm. love each other and, like, Cora is writing to Will, but they don't get that... Physical 
reunion, like yeah. the rote sort of happy ever after fairy tale ending, I believe. So yeah, this yeah. seems very TV to me. Yeah, I I mean I liked what they did with the vicar though. I like that he yeah. wasn't. Um, you know, when when someone plays a man of God and stuff like this, they're usually very predictable in the way that they approach uh, whatever is going on, and to have him be so confused and doubtful and you know trying his absolute best to keep everybody calm um, yeah. as a person like as a stand-in for you know i think someone wrote about it I, this is i guess it parts of the book itself you know cora is natural history buff and then you've got luke who's the doctor who i guess represents i don't know science or whatever and then she's darwinism and then you have the vicar yeah. who's the stand-in for god um yeah. it's it's interesting that he is the most troubled out of the three of them yeah. in terms of what is going on with this serpent, which I thought was like a really interesting approach. Um, yeah, I really liked what they did with those themes, I think, mm-hmm. in that that question of like science, you know, science history, like the facts versus yeah. faith and religion, yeah. um, and how they are represented yeah. through these characters. Yeah. Uh I found that very interesting as well. And yeah, yeah. Will in his sort of crisis of faith and also his own faithfulness in terms of both to his wife to the women that he loves and also to to god and the creator uh yeah those are um those are very smart um i just want to give a huge shout out to the fact that the creative decision they had to not show the classroom scene and just show the aftermath of it Mm -hmm. where cora supposedly goes in and tells the kids that it's probably not uh, the devil um it's probably just you know as as far as she knows a, a creature that has just surpassed evolution and is like a outlier mm-hmm. and you know they don't they don't show that scene they just show what happened afterwards we hear about how the kids reacted we hear about how much of an effect it had we see how angry everybody is at Cora for it we see the kids and how they react to it it's so easy to do that to kind of showcase how hysteria can happen and how it's all yeah hearsay. fascinating and it's fat it's so good though like some not everyday show mm-hmm. i thought that was so so smart yeah. yeah are there any standouts in terms of performances or characters to you shout out to luke man oh yeah big man yeah. Frank Delane, very good. So good. And Luke is so funny. He's so funny. He's definitely a fucking prick, um, but we yeah. love him. We love him. What what yeah. an asshole. Very charming asshole. Yeah. Um, and someone who actually brings some, probably the only character, I guess you could say, that brings some kind of like comedic relief or, or levity to this yeah, at times. Yeah, and makes it feel more lived in. Like it isn't so much of a period piece. Like you kind of know that guy even now, you know? So it yeah. makes it makes the, the, the time feel a little bit more accessible yeah. also shout out to martha um hayley squires is a tv actor that has been around in the uk for a minute um oh. I, I love her like she's always she always comes out and she's always i love that for the most part she never strays from her uh from her accent and i love <laughs> that for her i love that she's just out here doing her thing yeah i thought martha is like a very important character also to the foundation of this like someone who's actually kind of solid and like steady and like the of the earth yeah i don't really know um versus like cora who's just like floating out there doing whatever she wants exactly yeah yeah and even like characters like will who is played by tom hiddleston like he's very like we said he's in crisis for a lot of these yeah. this he's like wavering he 
is supposed to be this like authoritative presence but he loses that authority to his like um out of his mind uh religious fanatic number two vicar or whatever <laughs> yeah that guy um <laughs> yeah who's just like slaughtering goats and like sl- slapping blood on everyone's houses sure yeah um but i see the appeal of tom hiddleston now as, as i said but it's a very like a the night manager sort of performance, but also mm. like Will as a character, I found him a little bit boring as the episodes went on. Yeah, just like not not given very much to do. I agree. He's a man in crisis. He's he's like yeah. freaking out. He's freaking out. He's yeah. and in his freak out, he's horny for somebody else, and you know, <laughs> yes, that's that's what just yeah. what happens. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. but, I agree. I think yeah. he's a bit he's a bit boring. Yeah, but you know, overall pleasantly surprised i think by this yeah definitely. um not not a bad show i think especially if you have apple tv plus like worth giving it a shot all right so for culture notes this week uh we wanted to talk a little bit about the end of a tv series that we both loved mm-hmm. very much uh we just found out that made for love is cancelled after two seasons Takeaway thoughts on this so far for you, Jenny. How are you feeling? Well, I'm fucking pissed. Um, yeah, me too. It's <laughs> I'm so mad. I know. And I actually just had just finished catching up on season two. Mm-hmm. And then like the day after this news came out that it was canceled. Um, yeah. I mean, anyone who has listened to this podcast a while, you know that we, we like Made for Love. We talked about season one in an earlier episode with Allison Herman uh, season two, I think, was even better than season one, and oh, so much it, better. It was setting it up for even greater things to come. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. this, yeah, just unbelievable. You know, I really enjoyed season one. I watched, I finished season two, I think, last week mm-hmm. or two weeks ago, and I couldn't believe how much of a fun time that I was having. Yeah, like I was laughing out loud. I was totally engaged in what was happening. The way that the the show was written over season two was so much more complicated and yeah. like more intelligent writing in general. And they pulled it off. You know, the se- the season long arc of it was actually perfect. Like it yeah. was like ostensibly a perfect season of TV. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe the season one wasn't so much, but season two was, it's, it's very, very listen, it's very rare that season two is better than season one in any tv show (laughs) period so the fact that they pulled it off was incredible and i was so excited to see what would happen in season three and i guess we'll never fucking know and i'm so mad about it so and listen i'm i'm all for like well that's just how it is you know people aren't watching it and i'm not really the type (laughs) that gets mad about shows being cancelled that we have so much good shit it happens life happens these creators will hopefully go on to make better things the last time I was this mad was when Glow got cancelled. Oh, yeah. And RIP. that was infuriating. But th- this is, ju- like, honestly, Made for Love season- Made for Love being cancelled has just really pissed me off. Yeah. Um, and the, the statement that HBO Max gave is, like, so smarmy. Like, they, they, they make yeah. a bunch of references to the show. They're like, oh, we're so grateful for blah, 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 blah. And especially, like, Zelda, the talking dolphin, and, like, a Google chip. The series will always be in our minds. And it's like, read the room. Like, you will cancel this. Uh, You canceled (laughs) it, and you didn't even fucking promote it, man. Yeah, I think that's something that people are mad about, including, uh, obviously, Alyssa Nutting, the the creator, the the showrunner. Like, Mm -hmm. there, I really, it was... 
the only reason I knew there was a season two was because, you know, I had it in my watch list. And yeah. then yeah. other than that, I think there was like very little promotion on either the like social channels of HBO Max, the main hub page of HBO Max. Yep. Like it was just, it was like they put this here and then just put it into the void and that was it. Yeah. Jenny, I had to search for it. I had to search for it. And I've seen the whole fucking first season. Damn. What is going on? Like, listen, I don't know what's going on with the networks in terms of you guys are putting all your money into production, so you've got nothing left for marketing. And obviously, you scale one, you should be scaling the other. Mm. But I guess not. I guess not. (laughs) You know, like, it's just, it seems very silly. But we, you know, we know this to be true for a lot of streaming platforms where they just throw money and see what sticks and then don't give a fuck. It's just, we, I think we expected this more from like Netflix and not so much from HBO. Yeah, that's a Netflix move. Yeah, and I know that like HBO Max is like a different beast from HBO itself, but it's still extremely disappointing. Kind of expect yeah. more from them. Yeah, and this is one of their most original, like unique, uh, best offering so far for yeah. like standalone HBO Max. Um, yeah, I don't know what what are the things that you are are saddest about that you we will not get to see a continuation of. For Dude, the performances, man. Like we talked yeah. about the writing. The writing is is getting so much better, like leaps and bounds with each season. So yeah, I'm I'm sad that we're not gonna see what ends up happening to Hazel. But the performances, man. Like I think Kristen Milioti is amazing. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm you know post Palm Springs, I think we've all been excited to see more of her on our screens in general. But mm-hmm. Billy Magnuson really took me aback this season, man. Season two, so his good. performance was so fucking good. Yeah. And, um, you know, Ray Romano pulled a fantastic performance in this. Um, and then, like, obviously other people, like newcomers, I think Caleb Foote, who plays Bennett, oh, <laughs> is hilarious. so funny. Yeah. Um, and then Serena's J. Jackson, who we know from Insecure, but I thought he did a really good job um, in this yeah. um, as Jay. Yeah, man. Just, I'm sad about all of that. I'm sad about the world building you know that that yeah just, that just makes this me really upset fantastic world um so small but feels so big at the same time you know yeah, yeah absolutely and we'll never know what happens we'll never know what it's like to see the character of hazel in her like girl boss era yeah man so just for the sake of asking you because i guess we'll never know do you think hazel's baby is byron's or jay's hmm I'll, I'll say I think it's Byron's. Mm. What about you? I think it's Jay's. Mm. I think it, right. I think it makes for more. It would have made for more drama if it was Jay's. Anyway, I guess we'll never uh, know. R.I.P. Made for love. Rest unless, in peace, made for love. Yeah. We love you forever. Yeah. All right, that's it for us this week. If you are watching anything that we should check out, as always, email us at criticismisdead at gmail.com or message us or add us at criticismisdead on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, for extended show notes, including links, uh, paraphrasing of everything we've been talking about, and more, uh, subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com. Rate, review on Apple Podcasts, maybe tell a friend about us, mm-hmm. any of these things. We love it. Uh, we love you. We do. And thank you so much. See you next time. See you next week. Bye-bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lou and Jenny G. Shaw. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lee.